Hello and welcome to Connected, the podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good in our world. I'm ASD, a digital man here at Mediacom. Hi, I'm Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And I'm very excited to introduce Kate Rowlinson, who's joining us for the second time. How are you doing, Kate? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm oh, so excited to be here. Well, you are here because you are the, well, relatively new CEO of Mediacom UK. <laughs> I'm not UK. sure new anymore. I don't know. Is that, is that allowed? Can I get you away from that? Oh, you stop saying it in meetings, I notice. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, I guess isn't the average tenure of a CEO something like 2.6 years? So you're, <laughs> you're over a third of the way through your time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely anyway, so you start in September. What did you set out to do in September? So I set out basically to meet as many people as I possibly could. Um, so the first three months, so I had a very um, rigorous 100-day onboarding plan, which I, which was completely self-inflicted. I wrote it myself. Um, it was very intense, but for good reason. I mean, you know, I, I kind of knew the Medicom business well already because I've been in this business for nine years, uh, but all of that time really in a, in a global role. So what I really needed to do was just get my head into the UK operation, the clients, the people. So I basically spent the first three months meeting loads of people. I met so many clients, uh, which was brilliant because it just gave me this amazing perspective of what they thought of us, <laughs> how the relationships were, um, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities. Um, and obviously I spent a lot of time with my senior leadership team, with the Exco and the MPs as well. And I just tried to meet as many people as I possibly could, because this was the best way for me to build a picture of the business, uh, the current situation, and then, you know, what, what we kind of needed to do moving forwards. Um, and also, I mean, people first, better results. Start with the people. Um, and that's what I did. And it was a, it was a very, very brilliant and intense three months. I was pretty exhausted at the end of it, actually. Um, you know, I've, I've been up to, I guess my only regret was that kind of COVID happened and I couldn't continue this mission of just meeting as many people as I could, really. Um, but yeah, it was just about meeting as many people as possible across all of our offices. And then, and then since COVID's arrived, how has how your, your kind of plans have changed? How, how is your, your CEO role changed actually um, in practice? Um, well, I mean, it was, it, it might be worth just going back back a stage slightly because, because what started to emerge after all of those meetings was some quite clear perspectives on what I felt we could do, what we needed to do, what the opportunity was. And, and Sue, you've been involved in, you know, a lot of these conversations. So, I felt that there was um, a big opportunity in really driving our historic position around diversity and inclusion even further. So we want to be the UK's most inclusive and diverse agency. Uh, and I think that is you know, a brilliant foundation to build on. And I felt that was an opportunity. And I think specifically, you know, tackling diversity at senior levels in the organisation. I felt that we'd done quite a good job of, of, of actually gender diversity. So we've got very good female representation at a senior level. I, I think we're less strong in, in vein diversity um, 
and, and you know other diversity at senior levels in the company. So that was one area. Um, I, I think there was also a reputational opportunity in digital. So we are the UK's largest digital agency because <laughs> of our scale and our size, but I don't think we're known for it. And I think that is, and this, by the way, was a common challenge that we had in the worldwide operation as well. So a lot of common challenges um, in the UK agency uh, and media from globally. And I felt that we just needed to be known for the work that we were doing. So I think famous digital was something that um, I, I wanted to, to, to really drive early on. Um, I think the other thing was about one media com. And again, this is something that I brought from my global mm. uh, position um, was this idea of, you know, we are one. So we've got five offices in the UK. Um, I didn't want us to be too London, London centric. So one of the visits I made in my early days as CEO was to Manchester to see our mm. North group. Um, and I felt we had an opportunity to just be more one company across all of our offices. And I suppose that didn't change really when COVID mm. happened. You know, all of those things still remained a priority. Mm. And, and Sue, as you'll know, we did a, an away day with the senior leadership team in November, um, mm. months after I started, and, and we laid out a transformation agenda, basically, mm. about lots of things, some of, the, some of which I, I, I've just covered, one of which was about what's our future talent needs, you know, is the current makeup of our agency right? Um, how does it need to evolve? And so I think all of those things. Still so strategically, are, yes, exactly. everything was and, and, and we've built on it since. Yes, but I suppose with, with COVID, you know, there was a an immediate need to manage the short term. Yeah. And by short term, it was literally this week. The week after, you know, what's happening, and, and I think, you know, we had to migrate to remote working, which we did, which went so smoothly. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, wow, we managed to do that really, really quickly. Um, you know, and we were also managing the short-term impact on our business. So, um, you know, and I still thank the teams for what they did in that in that early period cancelling campaigns deferring payment intense negotiations with clients and media owners around moving you know money around mm. um so you know there was just a more much more of a short-term focus so i think those transformation work streams probably stalled a little bit mm. um, i was very happy that just before lockdown we did manage to um appoint richard davis is on you Chief Digital Officer, which was a critical hire for us. So he's very focused on the being famous for digital work stream um, and building our talent and our capability in that area. Um, and I suppose now we're starting to, I mean, I think we're certainly not through the woods with COVID, obviously, mm -hmm. um, but we're starting to emerge from the very intense lockdown period. You know, we'll start to now refocus on those strategic priorities uh, for the company. Um, we've been working on a new vision, which we're hoping to launch to the company in September. I mean, who knows how we're going to do that, right? Because we're not going to be in a big conference venue with all 1,200 of us. It's just not going to happen because we just can't do that. So it will be virtual in some way, but it's really important that we communicate to the company, you know, where we're going and how we're going to grow, frankly, moving out of this. Mm. Yeah. And I was going to say, 
rather than meeting people, obviously in, in offices, you've been talking to people weekly or nearly weekly um, over Teams instead, which actually, I mean, you know, we'd love to hear more feedback from people, but the feedback has been very positive to that. And one of the things that's been remarked is, is that um, we've been able to get everybody together more easily. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the town hall has been, yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting to, to know what people think of it. Um, I hope people find it useful. But I think from our perspective, being able to communicate to the whole company in one go regularly, yeah. I think is a very, very powerful thing. And we've used that to full effect. So every week we do a town hall. Um, and I just think that's a brilliant opportunity to keep communicating with people while, you know, they're at home working from home some of them are not in brilliant situations some are happier working from home and i just think that's been an amazing opportunity um and i think we'll just continue to do it continue to do it we'd like we'd love to make it more two ways in for some of them wouldn't we so we need to we need to think on that yeah and that's why we did the q a so mm -hmm. so last week we did a live q a i think probably you know we really needed to do that i think you're right i think it's been a bit too one way uh, we had loads of questions. We didn't get through them all, so we'll do another one. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I think moving forward, we will have much more kind of interaction and two-way um, communications. Well, we've begun to talk about it, but, I mean, we, we know COVID is awful on so many levels, but what positives are we going to take out of it? So, I think the first thing, it, it, it's been like a giant forced experiment on work remote working at scale hasn't it we would never have done this so so we've always offered flexible working we've got media come my way you know but we have never at scale moved from everybody working at home you know literally overnight i mean it was literally overnight and we are fully operational we have been fully operational throughout all of this and i think that is a complete game changer so we know we can work remotely uh, and i think we also know that many of our people are very concerned about returning to the office the majority of people i would say are, are still concerned about and i think it's largely about public transport actually just getting to the office um, mm. some people do want to come back which is why we're looking at opening the office um, up in in from the middle of august all of our offices um, but I think we will work more flexibly moving forward. So, so I think, you know, and that for me is a positive because I think that allows people to work in the way that they want to work. Yeah, so, so we're completely relooking at our flexible working policies. Um, I mean, the other thing I would say actually is, is client partnership. So we, I believe, because I speak to clients all the time and I've spoken to a lot of clients recently, I really believe that we've deepened so many of our client partnerships in this period. So, you know, this was a big thing for me. Again, Project Green was something that, that Claudine um, and I launched uh, right at the beginning of, of my tenure as CEO. Really important that we are partners, indispensable partners to our clients. And I think we've deepened those partnerships. So, you know, we started doing these client hangouts. So Claudine, we do client dinners with senior clients across the year. And we were obviously unable to do that. So Claudine was like, well, why don't we do it virtually? So we've been doing virtual client hangouts on Teams. And 
I think it's been really good. And I, and I think the reason partly for it is because we're all in the same boat. Everybody is in the same situation and we're all in it together. Uh, and I think our client relationships have deepened, which has been a really good thing. I mean, other, other things, other positives, I think we have been amazingly responsive to client briefs and needs really creative so I think I was talking to um, Alessandra at, at Tesco a couple of weeks ago and I think she said that they had created not necessarily launched but had created 12 different ads in lockdown and it was just unbelievable the amount of creativity and innovation and planning you know rapid planning I mean I think that's been a you know, huge demands on our team, but, you know, amazing amount of flexibility and innovation. So I think that's another thing, you know, this idea of having very, very long protracted briefing process to execution, which can take six, eight, nine, ten months. I, I don't know if that will immediately come back. So I think, you know, innovation and, and flexibility would, would be other positives, I think. So, um, if we if we ask you the impossible question, which is looking at the next 18 months, so that's quite a long time, that's through to end of 21. What do you think the new normal or the new abnormal the new, <laughs> is going to look like for Mediacom? We, we won't be 100% in the office. No, we won't be working in the same ways that we were. I think a lot of people are going, they're kind of used to this now and the question becomes what does blended look like and what does as things start to yeah yeah absolutely i mean i, I think we're going to be working very differently uh together in the next 18 months I, I, as i said i think some people want to come back to the office and we need to acknowledge and respect that and allow them to come back because some people just don't well either they don't have a great environment at home it's not conducive to home working you know they are very extrovert and they need to be around people um you know so for whatever reason we need to open up the offices um so people could come back um but by the same token and i think certainly at the moment the data is showing us that the majority of people do not want to return to the office mm. i think we also have to respect that so we are not it's all voluntary mm. so quite how that works from a team dynamic perspective from a collaboration perspective i mean i just don't think we know yet because i think we're going to have to work through that process and feel our through um because i think what also is on my mind is that we do work in a creative business and i think the we do work in a business where we have to build relationships with people um and i think those things are done better face to face mm -hmm. so i think this is a big challenge so i think you know mm -hmm. we build i was reading something in the papers over the weekend about you know you, you build relationships mm -hmm. when you know better when you are in physical contact with people um arguably you are more creative when you're in a room together with other people so how do we overcome those barriers mm -hmm. um, and that's something that i think we need to really get into but again nobody will have to come back and, to the office if they don't want to and then you've got you've got the fact that that is true for some people and not for everybody and i i think the 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 question the, the questions the difficult questions are if you're in a team and most of the rest of your team thrive on that 
kind of physical presence yeah but you don't necessarily what does that what does that mean for the team leader because I think it creates challenges for anyone who's managing a team so including both of you and 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 you know me as to how you imagine a world where you get the best out because because our job is to get the best out of people right our job is to coach people to the best of their kind of potential in terms of their career and in a blended world how you do that hybrid maybe hybrid world um you almost want a uh you know that clever thing they put in hybrid cars that, <laughs> that you know that gets the best out of the battery and the best out of the um, driving conditions yeah. you need you need to, we need to be thinking how we imagine that, don't we, in terms of teams? As, yeah, and I think we need to look, you know, we need to fundamentally look at the technology we have in our meeting rooms, for example. Um, you know, so we can have meetings that are, you know, this is a big debate we've been having in Exeter. Yeah. You know, can you have a meeting where half the people are in a room physically and half are on VC? And it's, you know, can you? I don't know. But, you know, I, I think we're going to have to be able to to work like that. So what's the technology that we need in our meeting rooms to enable us to do that? So I think technology has a big role to play in this. Um, but I think one thing I would say is that what we are doing is we are going to be very specific about this. So we have a work stream currently in operation. I think we've got two teams across the business and it's, it's all about reimagining how we work. Mm-hmm. So what is the role of the office moving forwards? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we work collaboratively in a world where some people won't be in the office, other people will? And I think we've got to be very specific about how we guide our people on that. So we are fundamentally looking, re-looking at our flexible working policy. And we will, as a consequence of this work stream, reimagining how we work, provide very clear guidance on how people you know, can and should operate because I think we're in completely uncharted territory. I don't, you know, I don't profess to have all the answers, you know, and I think what we have done with these work streams, and I think this was so important, this isn't a senior management down thing. This is talking to people in the business about how they want to operate and how they want to work with each other and within their teams. And I think we need to listen to that and then tailor our policies uh, accordingly. So we will be providing guidance and we're working through that at the moment and we will be putting people first <laughs> well indeed exactly absolutely absolutely but i mean i think in terms of the other new normal because there's obviously that big thing about working how we operate flexible working but i think we also need to look at the business and what the business is going to be doing and what we're going to be building and i think the other things i would say I think we're going to see um, digital acceleration in our business so we need to rapidly build capability uh, more effectively in certain areas, um, e-commerce being one, you know, I think being expert in the platforms that we are, you know, um, trading in for our clients, Amazon, Google. Um, so I think digital acceleration is, is a big area and Rich is kind of leading the charge on that with, with all of us in the leadership team and all the other digital people in the business. I think we will be, um, collaborating with Group M and WPP in in new ways, actually. I think um, certainly in the UK now with Karen as as Group M CEO, she's driving a much more collaborative agenda. So I think we will be benefiting from that and we'll be working more closely and operating uh, more effectively um, as a group uh, and also with WPP. 
and you know, and we'll be winning some new clients. I think we've got a really exciting new proposition um, in Springboard, which is the um, specific capability we've built around targeting new economy clients, uh, not a kind of heartland bread and butter kind of um, uh, category for Mediacron, I would say, historically, but we have to start winning new business um, and winning new clients. And I think there's lots of exciting stuff happening in that area as well. So obviously big thing around flexible working and how we work, but also the business and how it, how it needs to grow moving forward. And that's really exciting to hear um, that it's not just we're talking about flexible working, but how we work and how people work and interact together. And I think that's something that a lot of other people won't be thinking about. I think it's really exciting for people working at Mediacom to be able to hear that. Now, while you were talking, I actually got thinking of, you know, you've come from an EMEA and a global role where you do have to work remotely and you do have to build those relationships. So you're in quite, you're in a really good position to, to think about these things. But so how has it been moving from an EMEA role to a very country specific role? It's been brilliant. I mean, I've loved it. I mean, I, I did a I did a global role for nine years, which I also absolutely loved. Um, but I just loved getting my arms around a market, and you know, being able to work with amazing people. I mean, what an amazing, you know, talent base we have in the, in this in this business. It's incredible. I mean, you know, that that's why I wanted to meet as many people as I possibly could. Um, we have incredible people in this business and, and to be able to work with all of those people, so the senior leadership team, amazing, our managing partner board, amazing, all of our people across the business. I'm just so impressed every time I meet people. Um, so I've loved it, absolutely loved it. And I also think we have just such, a, such an amazing foundation to build on and such an amazing opportunity to grow moving forward because we have talent, and we have the intent we like to win um and you know so i've loved it it, it is the short answer but you know I, I loved my global role too um and i miss the travel but we wouldn't be traveling anyway because we've all been you, would grounded, not be. So. <laughs> you, would, you would not be traveling so um our, our next regular question is is sort of what's next for you but of course actually you are still you've still got a lot to do as as a ceo so i think what what next for you? I love this job. I feel so proud and honoured to be able to do it. Um, and my immediate focus is on leading Mediacom through this current situation and growth moving forwards. And, you know, I'm not done. Anything close to being done with that. So <laughs> I'll be around for a bit. Brilliant. Right. On to our questions we ask every guest, Kate. Now, you've done some of these before, but there's some new ones. So we thought we'd, we'd, we'd ask them again. Um, so can you give us your favorite line from a poem a song or a book yeah now this is a, this is an impossible question obviously um yeah. and i i'm a avid reader i read a lot so it has to be a book um and i've chosen the opening line of the secret history by donna tart so i don't know if you know this book but i it's got a, i love it yeah yeah it's got a particular resonance for me because I did an English degree uh -huh. and three years I read books, not for fun, <laughs> but with a view to dissecting them and analysing them and writing essays on them and all of that. And I think probably, I mean, I probably did read books for enjoyment um, throughout my university years, 
but you know for the most part I think when you read a book when you're doing an English degree you can't switch off your analytical faculty you're just constantly kind of underlining things and you know and so the the first book that I read once I finished my degree was The Secret History by Donna Tarr and and it so it will always have um, you know, just a special place really in, in my in my heart. And I loved it as well. Um, and the opening line, I think, is a particularly good opening line, which is, the snow in the mountains was melting and Bonnie had been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. Who would not want to read on? Who would not want to read on? Um, Okay, if you were a genie, what five commonly available objects would I have to put in a magic circle to summon you? Okay, so the first one is bookmark because I do read a lot. And you use a bookmark? I don't actually. I do that <laughs> thing, but, but there's no physical equivalent. I, I bend the corner of the page. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a page. Oh, no. Some people hate that, but we'll get you a bookmark. I just shivered. Yeah, I, it was bad. Yeah. You know, my sister would, uh, in fact, we've, I think the biggest arguments we've ever had have been when I've turned over the corner of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I do that, which is very, very naughty. But um, okay, yeah, I've, read, I've read some brilliant books um, in lockdown and, and I read a lot all the time. I've always got, you know, a few books on the go. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is a chef's knife. So I'm a big cook. I love cooking been known to take my own knife on holiday <laughs> yeah that's quite extreme yeah. if not but sometimes illegal isn't it well I mean never never overseas but um, <laughs> okay but yeah just to be clear um but if if I'm going away in this country in a house yeah, right. having to kind of deal with substandard yeah, yeah. kind of equipment yeah. in the kitchen is just yeah, I, I just totally get that yeah. I've been on holiday where you go and the only thing is a bread knife and you're just yeah. like, what? what's that about? How can I shop an onion with that? Yeah. And we've all, we've all seen, those of us that watch you on the town hall, we've all seen your cookery books. Your yes, indeed, indeed, yeah. Do you have a particular yes. brand, Kate, that you would, you would take or you would want in this circle? No, it just needs to be sharp and, and you know, yeah. that, that's the thing. You just need yeah. a really good knife. And, and so that was another thing. Um, Walking boots. Okay. Well, I love walking. I'm a big walker. When I was growing up, my parents used to um, take us out. To the, I'm from the I'm from the northwest, so we used to go to the Lake District a lot. Mm. Beautiful walks. Mm. You know, I probably didn't enjoy it so much at the time when I was a kid. <laughs> Head down. <laughs> uh, but um, I absolutely, I just love walking, and I, and I kind of I think I said this on a town hall quite close to the beginning. I I, I really missed my commute because. I walk to the tube, yeah. you know, from the tube to work. And I do way, way more than I've got my Apple Watch. I'm constantly tracking my steps. And yeah. um, I do way, way over 10,000 steps a day. And I have been walking. I've gone for a walk every day in lockdown because yeah. I have to, have to get out. And, and sitting on video calls for me, it's just so sedentary. And you need yeah, a break. Walker, so it's a mixture walk. of reading and walking. Yes, <laughs> a good, mm. yeah, a good way of keeping safe. Yeah. Um, and then the fourth one is the suitcase. So I do love travel, and um, I think that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed a global job. I mean, I did 
get to travel the world. It was amazing. I went to some absolutely amazing places, Beijing, Bogota, Taipei, New York, LA. I mean, it was just amazing. And and I, I kind of missed that. But also, I don't miss it in a way because it did take me away from family and it's, it is quite disruptive. But I love traveling. So, so and, and I, do you know what? Even when I was doing that job, every time I arrived at Heathrow, it was exciting. Even though it was just like, a, you know, yet another business trip, I still get a little buzz when I arrive at It's just something really so, exciting. So can we probe this? Because um, we have done podcasts before with travellers, um, and Andrew will know who I'm thinking about, who, who how, wherever they were going and have however long for, only take a walk-on, walk-off bag. Is that you or do you take a proper suitcase and check it in? Check it out? Depends how long I'm going for. So yes, I would. I would by and large, I would try to take carry on because it's a real pain waiting for your bag. I mean, that, and then when you do travel a lot, that is a real pain. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I was going somewhere for five days, you need five outfits, Sue. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think there is a gender thing going on here. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, I never knowingly underpack. Exactly. But I think if you, if you were if you were travelling with Nick Lawson, right? So he was, you know, it's not not possibly the most patient man you suggested he wouldn't be patient waiting for you to get your bag and, and he would say you've not checked a bag in have you and would, yes nick but you get a taxi you go you at the hotel <laughs> so there was a bit of that but you know you've got so, to do a decent yeah. size suitcase a decent size suitcase yeah um and then finally, I don't know if I can have this, but a gig ticket, would that qualify as an everyday? Oh, yeah, no, we can. And, and Queen, Queens of the Stone Age? Queens of the Stone Age, yeah. Well, yeah, I do go and see Queens of the Stone Age every time they tour. I absolutely love them. They are, yes, the most amazing live band. I would strongly recommend if you haven't seen them that you go and see them. But I guess uh, we won't be seeing them anytime soon. And I think this is a particularly poignant one, actually, because I think, you know, I do go and see a lot of live music. Uh, with my husband and, and friends and there is no live music and there isn't going to be any live music for a long time I think and it's really sad and you know these these gig venues are the venues that just won't open very quickly we're all everyone's crammed in in an indoor space no they won't and and that's part of the atmosphere it's part of it's it's hard to see how that's going to be replicated exactly. by I don't know a theatre with just a few seats for um, so I think it, it's very sad uh, what's happening to live music and I hope the government supports that industry. The good thing was that, that Steve and I managed to go and see Rasheen Murphy at the Roundhouse literally about two weeks before mm. lockdown so we did get our final fix but I think it's going to be... Although we know that there's been a lot of reimagining of it and, and you know, there's uh, people been doing gigs on Fortnite and things, which you I guess... You've didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, we were supposed to go to Glastonbury as well and we couldn't go. So, you know, lots of fabulous live music events that just aren't happening. It's, it's heartbreaking, really. Yeah. So what three things in your house are giving you comfort in these in these lockdown times now assuming living things and family and pets and things are giving you comfort but what actual just specific things are giving you comfort Kate? Well including my recipe books. Um, oh, yeah. So you mentioned that you've re read some really good books in lockdown maybe you could give us some recommendations if you something yeah. come to mind. 
so the one I'm reading at the moment is, well, I'm reading a few books. I've always got a few on the go. Um, yeah, I'm, I do that too. I'm, yeah, I'm reading The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, um, who is an amazing um, American author. He won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago for the Underground Railroad, and the Underground Railroad being the safe network, the network of safe houses that... Um, that's, that, that were used to help slaves escape from the South of America to North yeah. America. And his latest book is The Nick Boys. It's heartbreaking, but it's very, yeah. very good. Um, I'm also educating myself in, in anti-racism. So yeah, I'm reading Me and White Supremacy, which is a book that demands of you that you actually do some work. There's an exercise at the end of each chapter. It's about understanding things like white privilege, um, white fragility. And at the end of each chapter, there is a, a series of questions that you have to answer. So you actually have to do some work while you're reading this book. So, so that has been um, really good and, and hard, actually, because it forces you to really, really engage with it. Um, but one of the best books I've read in, in, in lockdown, actually, um, which was a complete surprise to me, was a book called uh, Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. so it's incredible. Um, and It's the first time anyone's taken a proper look at the victims, right? Exactly. Yeah. So all of the books that have been written about Jack the Ripper are about Jack the Ripper, even though yeah. we don't know who that was, but who, who could it have been? The they're very dismissive aren't they of the victims just yeah. as prostitutes exactly and, and and it's all about him it's all about the crime you know it's all about um the detectives know, and the police and you know. pays the investigation the, and all of that whereas actually and he murdered five women mm -hmm. and they are written off as prostitutes and actually they weren't all prostitutes. There's, there is no evidence that at least three of them were, were ever in prostitution. What they were, were very, very, they were living in poverty. They were very poor women living on the streets in London in the 1800s. Horrific, horrific experiences that they had. They, a lot of them had struggles with alcohol. But the writer, Hallie Rubenholt, gives these women voice and she creates, um, she retells their life. And, and the, the, the way that she painstakingly researches these women's lives and, and gives them voice is, it's really inspiring actually. And I, I can't recommend it enough. Good, we'll, we'll, we'll make that one of your things, look at that book. So Can I just, in, can I just say, the, one of my favorite board games is a Jack the Ripper game where one of you plays Jack and the other one plays police. Um, and I can send you a link. It's called Letters from Whitechapel. It is brilliant because Jack doesn't have a piece, but you've got to try and catch him through getting clues and stuff. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Anyway, books. So that's one thing. Yeah, so lots of books. Um, I'm going to say the TV. I'm going to be really kind of traditional, maybe. TV slash iPad. Yeah. Um, just watch some brilliant stuff. Uh, and I think because, you know, I'm not commuting, you just seem to have more time in the evenings, which I think has been a, a really great benefit of lockdown. And then the final thing I, I think, I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure if this qualifies, but my garden. Yeah. Um, and my, I've got like a little outdoor sofa and we've got a table that we can sit and have dinner in the evening. And I'm really, really lucky to have a garden. And I know this, I'm, you know, a lot of people don't. 
um, particularly in cities. We're so lucky to have one. And I've spent a lot of time outside in the garden. And that's been, you know, that's been really brilliant at helping get through this. Um, okay, we're now going to give you the magic power to change the industry in one way right now. What would you do? Diversity at senior levels. And I mean, you know, BAME diversity. So people of colour in senior roles at scale in businesses across the industry. And I think it would make a huge difference. Uh, and it's something that we're very, very focused on with the media form. Um, so that, it would be that. And what's next for you? Oh, no, no, we've done that no, one, sorry. That. Uh, if we would give, sorry, I'm reading the wrong <laughs> one. Um, if we would give you a billboard, where would you put it and what would it say? You know, I think right. I think it would be Black Lives Matter. And I would put it in the highest traffic site in the country, wherever that is. It will be somewhere where the most people possible will see it. But, you know, I think, you know, I was listening to the lawyer who's representing George Floyd speaking on the Today programme this morning. Uh, and, you know, and he was talking about the fact that you know, he's the, the, the police officer who um, killed him has still not been charged with first degree murder. And actually, if it was the other way around, and if George Floyd had killed that white police officer, there would be no question about the charge. And I think it's really important that we don't forget all of the things that have happened, the terrible things that have happened, and the fact that, you know, black people are really still hurting, you know, uh, about, frankly, everything that they've experienced in the past and now and continue to experience and I think we we can't forget this and we have to change things so um, it would be Black Lives Matter. I think Andrew you've gone on mute I and was on mute. Andrew's about to say <laughs> one question now, you can't prepare for. One question you can't prepare for is that we are using Proust's questionnaire so if you could give me a number between one and 26 I will give you the question and if you could answer it to finish us off. 19. Number 19 oh god this is the most miserable one so what would you, what do you regard as the lowest depth of misery? that one you know the lowest depths of misery what is this, is this like personally yeah. or, well, or professionally you can answer it how you like but um but you're stuck with the question because it's the it's it's the luck of the draw <laughs> i think probably bereavement okay yeah okay. yeah okay an odd note to finish on there kate yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Very Lots of exciting things. Yeah. yeah, so many good things for the uh, for everyone to but, hear. You know, maybe not a wrong note because, you know, as we, we were talking to somebody yesterday, you know, we have colleagues amongst us who have lost people. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it's not over yet. So yeah. it's it's good to acknowledge that everybody's on a personal journey. Okay, well, listen, thank you. It was, it was really great to talk to you. Yeah. Um, we should do it again. Yeah. It's not too distant future. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. We'll, we'll do yeah. that. We'll do, an, yeah, maybe at the end of the year or the beginning of the year to set up. Set us maybe, up for maybe a 2021, where are we now? Yeah. yeah.
we do that? If we get it in the diary now, it might Let's happen. get it in the diary now. <laughs> <laughs> it might happen. It's taken a while to get this. Yeah. Good Brilliant. to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Kate. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.